0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome tonight's to tonight's podcast of TCD Two Cool Dudes. I am your host Lawrence Williams, and I'm here with my co-host Anthony Johnson. Hey. hey. Uh, We're going to jump right into tonight's show on mental health. Uh, Tonight's show primarily will pertain to defining mental health to help us all understand what it is. Uh, We hope tonight is the first of many shows to discuss other aspects of mental health. Uh, Before we go into uh, tonight's sponsors. We want to make sure our audience is aware that tonight's program is just to provide information on mental health and not to provide any diagnosis. Um, It is also, also if you know anyone that is experiencing mental health concerns or you are experiencing those, we strongly suggest that you contact your medical provider. Um, Tonight's programming is brought to you by As You Should Junk Removal, we're on your
1: way. Uh, Lawrence Williams Health Insurance, Convenience Choice
0: Council, more Than Just Health, located in Gettysburg. And also by Weaver Accounting Solutions, who, which offers booking, taxes, and payroll services to local businesses and individuals, now located on High Street in Gettysburg. And we'd like to have a big thank you to community media of South Central PA for providing us with this opportunity uh, to bring this programming to you tonight. Awesome.
1: Good evening, everyone, I am Anthony Johnson. As you know, this evening, we will be discuss, discussing mental health. Uh, This is something that many of us have experienced in our own personal life um, and know someone that has. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, mental illness, I'm sorry, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, mental illnesses are common in the United States. It is estimated that more than one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness, 57.8 million in 2021 alone. Mental illnesses include many different conditions that vary in degree of severity, ranges from mild to moderate to severe.
0: So you talk about the number of 57.8 million of you know, Americans alone um, struggle with mental illness. I know that the show is brought on to to everyone just because you and I have had that conversation of our own personal struggles, and Mm -hmm. we were talking a little bit about that before it started. Uh, Can you give me a brief explanation of your personal struggles, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds of what you've experienced?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, You know, as an adolescent, you know, you grow up in, you know, I'm I'm from Baltimore, so as an adolescent, um, I dealt with a lot of, uh, I guess, trauma at that age. Um, from the age of two on to the age of 14, um, I was in group homes, foster homes, you name it. So um, that trauma alone, being in those facilities, uh, brought on a lot of mental health issues as far as depression, um, abandonment issues, things Mm -hmm. like that. So um, it definitely made me uh, vulnerable to a lot of uh, things as far as like relationships and things like that. Um, Those became hard growing up, but um, that's why I'm I'm, I'm excited to hear what Dr. Henry has to say, because even as an adult, it's still some things that I'm trying to learn on how to deal with uh, mental health and deal with issues that I've, you know, had since
0: I was a, a kid. Um, I personally have dealt with some of the same things, uh, just mental health-wise, mm-hmm. uh, being a, a college athlete, uh, being away from home, dealing with a mom that has had sickness. Uh, and we were neighbors at one Indeed. point, so, you know, we, we've encountered each other on different occasions, but... I've struggled just, you know, as we were talking about, you know, like not being a parent at, at 41 and yes. and just some other things in my personal life that I have struggled with on um, just on how to cope with certain things that, that I am personally experiencing. Right. So having Dr. Henry on tonight to help us get through some of the things that we want to discuss right. for our viewers is is great because... As as you read that 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 statistic there, fifty seven point eight million Americans. Million. That's a lot of people. Indeed, um, and that's probably just people that are that have come forward and exactly. not the people that haven't. Exactly. Um, so to help us, as as Anthony has already mentioned, is Dr. Henry, um, and I'd like to introduce her. Um, provide a little background on Dr. Henry, Uh, we attended Lehigh University together uh, back in 2001. Uh, We had a similar circle of friends, so we encountered each other often uh, with our our group of friends. Um, So when Anthony uh, came to me about doing this, we we talked about some things, and I said, I have a perfect person to to do this. Uh, And I reached out to her, and we literally had a five-minute conversation on Facebook, and she was like, how can I help? And I was like, well, this is what you could do. Right. So she was more than willing to, to jump on. Um, I had posted about her credentials on, um, on my Facebook page as well as Anthony has. So I'll let her speak. So, so uh, Dr. Henry, we welcome you. Um, Thanks, she's not you, here in person, but she, we can see her beautiful smiling face here on, <laughs> on the Zoom. Dr. Henry, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience, please?
2: Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, Nice to see both of you. Nice to meet you, Anthony. Nice to meet you as well. My name is Dr. Racine Henry. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist here in New York City. Um, As Elle, who, as I call him, mentioned, um, (laughs) I went to Lehigh for my bachelor's degree, um, got my master's from Valdosta State in Southern Georgia, and my PhD from Drexel University in Philadelphia. Um, Since then, I've worked with countless organizations and communities from the military to working in homes with families and adolescents. Um, I opened my private practice called Sankofa Marriage and Family Therapy Mm -hmm. in 2018. Since then, um, I've been treating mostly black couples and black individuals on purpose. I also treat interracial couples and non-monogamous couples as well. And I am also uh, a core faculty member at the Family Institute at Northwestern University.
0: Awesome,
1: amazing. Can we get a kind clap for Dr. Henry, please? I mean, that is amazing. Thank you. They can't hear. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Henry. We appreciate you for being here. I am glad that we have someone with your expertise on the show. Um, but I do have a couple questions for you, and it's like a three-part question in a one. Um, so the first one would be, how do you define mental health? What are mental health issues versus simple stress? And does stress mean that you're mentally ill?
2: Those are very good questions, and I'm really glad that you asked that because I think we can clear up some misconceptions and ways that we casually talk about mental health in incorrect ways. So mental health is a state of being, right? If you think about physical health, mental health is the same thing. It's about your mental and emotional state at any given time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mental health diagnoses run the gamut from mental illness and then non-mental illness. So not every diagnosis is a mental illness, but every mental illness does have a diagnosis along with it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So something like depression or stress, those are mental health diagnoses, but those are not mental illnesses. Mental illnesses are things that are a lot more severe, like bipolar disorder, um, psychopathy, things like that. People use the terms interchangeably, but they talk about very different classes of things, right? So if you talk about serious mental illness, those are another um, smaller group of diagnoses that indicate, again, a different level of severity. Um, How you know that you may have a mental health diagnosis or at least a concern. In the fields we normally look at, how much is your preferred method of functioning impaired? So if you have depression or stress or PTSD or anything else, right? you could have a more mild diagnosis of it because you're able to function how you want to, but that thing is still sort of there, um, either picking at you or on your mind or um, showing up in different ways. And symptomology, so symptoms are the things that, are, are when your mental illness or your diagnosis manifests. So if you're sleeping in, that's a symptom. If you're unable to go to work, that's a symptom. If you're crying, that's a symptom. But there are people who are very functional, who you may cross paths with and never think for a second they have any kind of diagnoses or anything happening with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are people who could be living with severe diagnoses or even mental illness, but they either have a really good hold on it, meaning medication, therapies, whatever other treatments they um, find to work for them, or they're people who know how to navigate their diagnoses or illnesses so well that they suffer in silence. So, so
0: having stress. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so I want to. I want to jump. I don't mean to cut you off, yeah, but I want to jump right no, into ahead. that one right there. Um, so you were talking about. I'm backing up just a little bit here. You talked about preferred, and then you mentioned, because um, one of our questions, one of our next questions that we have um, goes into um, any mental illness and serious Ill- serious mental illness. But I want to back up here and, and jump into asking, so there are people that are functioning every day that struggle yeah. with serious mental health issues. So you mentioned that. So how do how do those people function daily without, you know, if they're not medicated or exactly. that they, they have mm-hmm. these emotions or feelings that they have? Because I personally have had those struggles where it's like I wake up in the morning and I, I don't want to do a doggone thing, but when somebody sees me, they, they would never have an idea like I may be personally struggling, struggling with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so part of how they're able to function is that we as a society stigmatize mental health in such a way that we think somebody who has depression must be undercovers in a corner crying and not moving all day yes that is a big misconception indeed right we think people who are bipolar as people who are manic one second and then laughing the next we have all of these really incorrect ways of thinking about mental health that allow people to go untreated and undiagnosed because they don't fit these very extreme um, categorizations that we have for what mental illness looks like we also think everything is mental illness and mm-hmm. it's not. Indeed. Um, especially nowadays in social media, you see things like trauma dumping or trauma mm-hmm. bonding, all these phrases that people misuse and have no clue what they really mean, or people who mm-hmm. self-diagnose and they'll come to therapy and say, Dr. Henry, I'm suffering from depression, right? When they're really just sad mm-hmm. or they're grieving or they're dealing with a situational stressor that yes, may give them symptoms of depression, but they don't meet the criteria for depression itself as a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So Something to remember is that all these diagnoses have criteria to them, Mm -hmm. right? And it's about not only the criteria, but also a pattern of behavior over time. It's not just, I cried my eyes out for three hours yesterday, but rather, do you meet these five or six criteria from this list? And do those symptoms persist over time? And then also how manageable or unmanageable Are these symptoms for you.
1: So what you say is is more of a spare the moment kind of thing or more of a and and the question I'm asking is um, because like you said some people self-diagnose a lot some people Mm -hmm. like you said they may cry a lot they may be going through something and it may have been traumatic and to them that is a state of depression. Uh, The question that I have um, let's say someone is self-diagnosing would it be something that's the spare of the moment that would be a good self-diagnosis or would it be something that is long-term that they then can say would be a self-diagnosis, which I know a self-diagnosis isn't good. Um, you should right. definitely seek uh, you know, uh, the proper people to do that, but the, que- the question still stands, is that how you would categorize that in a sense?
2: So I think people self-diagnose from all kinds of things. Gotcha. WebMD, um, WebMD from, <laughs> <huh? laughs> Web Web yeah, so Web from their <laughs> Instagram. family say, oh, you know, Right, they're family saying, like, oh, you know, you're crazy, or you know, you're anxious, mm-hmm. you know, you're whatever. Um, and I think that people assume that mental health diagnoses are like this special thing that only happens to people sometimes, but not just extreme versions of normal human behaviors or feelings or reactions. Mm-hmm. I think we all experience stress. We all experience some form or fashion of depression at times. Right. Mm-hmm. We all experience anger. But the diagnoses come about because, again, of how much this thing is impacting your functioning mm-hmm. and how severe it is and so how it impact. shows up and manifests in all these different categories of your life, not just because of your ex boyfriends or when you're at work or um, because your grandma passed away. Mm-hmm.
0: So one thing that you have mentioned is, <clears throat> one thing that you have mentioned a few times are, uh, you have mentioned pattern of behavior over time mm-hmm. and then how it impacts you Habitually, uh, every day. Mm -hmm. So, if 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 if, would that be a better way to? uh, I want to say an easier way to define mental health, or excuse me, or like consistent patterns of behavior, um, and then how those patterns of behaviors. Affect you daily on like your daily habits of getting up and mm-hmm. and brushing your teeth, getting up and, mm-hmm. and taking a shower or getting something to eat. Uh, would that be another way to? I want I don't want to say simplify because again, this is not a this is not for us to diagnose or for somebody to say, oh, right. well, Dr. Henry said right. you know this X right. Y and Z, but. As a medical professional, <laughs> would that be something that you look deeper into what would, what how would you ask someone that you know to, to get that to get an understanding of those things from them
2: yeah, so I want to be clear about the terms that we're using right um, I think you're asking how do you better simplify mental health issues mm-hmm. and not mental health itself because again mental health is a state of being um, as a psychotherapist i'm not a medical professional i'm a mental health professional okay. and I want to be clear about that not to be nitpicky but because people, again, confuse some of these terms and where to go for for the right help. Mm -hmm. So as a mental health professional, I'm not um, prescribing medication. Um, I will diagnose and I can and do diagnose people. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you um, psychological testing or assessments that can then um, categorize you in other ways. So I may use assessments to help with treatment, to figure out how severe something is for you, maybe to help you better put to words what you're feeling and experiencing. Um, And so, I think everyone can ask themselves or think about, what I have tell clients is, you know, think about your normal, like your baseline. When you know that you're feeling good, maybe not your best, but you're just feeling good. What are the things that you're doing? How much are you eating? Mm -hmm. How many times a day are you showering? You know, are you being social? What are your habits? When you start to stray from that baseline, that's when there may be some mental health issues cropping up for you. And it's important to have people around you aware of what that baseline for you looks like because often others can tell that something's off with us before we can tell it's off with us. Mm -hmm. So if your friend's able to say, you know, you haven't really been showering where that you normally do, are you okay? Then you can maybe be aware of the forest for the trees, right? Of what you're sort of stuck in and what you're going through. Because again, it may not look like this big, huge episode. It may not look like something that is so stark or different that you can then say, oh, this happened. So I know something is wrong with me. But it could just be that you're quieter, you're more withdrawn, you're harder to reach, um, you're not as social, you're not eating the same. And those habits can be subtle, but they can be, not all the time, but they can be a sign of maybe needing to talk to somebody and figure out what other resources or help could benefit you at this time.
0: Indeed. Good stuff. Um, um, yeah, I, I have a question here for you. Um, so. I wake up this morning so this is just for the people out there that that do the self-diagnosis you wake up this morning and you don't feel like taking a shower and you don't feel like eating it doesn't necessarily mean that you are clinically or like you have a mental health issue is is that a fair statement or no
2: if you wake up today you don't feel like taking a shower that could just be today
0: right if That's three
2: right. weeks later you still feel like taking a shower in all those days since that could be a sign of something. Yeah, that was, the right? question,
1: that was the question I was asking earlier. Do you, Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it something that is, you know, the spare of the moment kind of thing or is it something that's long-term before you mm-hmm. uh, begin to, to say, okay, now I have an issue.
2: Right, and so there's a spectrum with that too, right? So if you're someone who feels like I've been pretty healthy, I hate the word normal, so I like to say healthy for mm-hmm. most of my life, and I have an, a, an outburst or an incident maybe you have a sudden, you know, spurt of violence or you find yourself reacting at an extreme to something that would normally give you like a lower reaction. Mm -hmm. That could be a sign of a more serious mental illness that has gone unchecked, right? There are things like schizophrenia, bipolar, Mm -hmm. other um, mental illnesses that do sort of um, show themselves in these manifestations that feel very out of the ordinary and feel very spur of the moment. But chances are, there's been a pattern that maybe you haven't been noticing or that you haven't been aware of because it's been written off as, oh, that's just boys being boys, mm-hmm. or you know, you had a bad day, or everyone in our family has that, that rage or that acting out gene or whatever yeah. it is that people might say to you. So it's not very often that someone's mental illness just shows up out of the blue one day for no reason. Exactly. barring some other tragic event like a trauma mm-hmm. or a serious physical accident or even some physical diagnoses can bring about mental health diagnoses. Um, but most often the criteria is based on these things happening over time.
1: So would you, would you say it's, it's kind of like a trigger almost? Mm-hmm. Let's say something, because I, I, I firmly believe, and this is going to lead into the next question as well, um, I do firmly believe that uh, mental health is something that, it's not something that just occurs, it's something that has been uh, maybe laying dormant for a long time, um, but something triggers it and then you react to it, um, unbeknownst to you, why are you reacting in the matter that you're acting in, um, but the whole time you've been dealing with these issues and you don't even know what they are. Um, and mm-hmm. you kind of hit on this already, Dr. Henry, so the next question I would have is, um, we talked about the AMI and the SMI, um, mm-hmm. and we know that some people walk around smiling who are struggling with mental health, uh, what are the signs that someone is struggling with mental health? Even the ones that are walking around um, smiling. Like, how do we? Uh, prime example: We know Twitch. Uh, he was a uh, uh, um, on Ellen. He was uh, uh, Instagram. He was Instagram famous. He was he was a dancer. Um, and 24 hours prior to his uh, death, um, he was smiling on camera right. with his family. Right. And then within a 24-hour period, he had committed suicide. So mm-hmm. how do we know? Um, in a sense without knowing is the question I would have.
2: The hard part about it is we may not always know, Mm -hmm. right? If a person wants to deceive you, they will. Um, And most often people who are experiencing suicidal ideation want so badly to not feel what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And in our society, in most cultures, you can't say out loud, I'm thinking about hurting myself Mm -hmm. without people reacting in a very big and scared manner. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't think we have enough training socially about how to deal with someone who has a suicidal thought or a plan or ideation. And that's fair because most people walking out are not mental health professionals. So where would you get that training from? Indeed, but right. I think if people were able to talk about this in a more uh, calm way, in a way that wasn't so scary or frightening for those around them, then they can maybe get the help that they need. But for a lot of people, um, they work really hard at maintaining that facade. They work really hard at having people not know that they're struggling and so there's no way to know there's no you know playbook or, or like magic detective way to know that unless someone is open and willing to share about the symptomology and willing to let you in in that way and and say you know or express in some way that they're having a hard time.
0: So going off of what he just mentioned with, with with Anthony just mentioned Tony, let me just start calling you Tony and make it a little easier yeah, yeah. Uh, what he what he asked about that question um, just to, to piggyback off of that um, so you you mentioned like people sharing and being open about you know about what they are experiencing um, Have you seen that more with you know the things that have happened with, with COVID, and I don't wanna I, I refrain from being political, but just have you seen people stepping away from being open about what they experience in their traumas to, to share with someone like you or to seek help? Like what, what I, let me, I guess I, I wanna know is what prevents people from like oh. opening up? Mm-hmm. Like this this man is, you know, works with Ellen and, and there's, there's, there's plenty of other people, that out there celebrities and, and just off of my Facebook feed alone, you know, in the last few days, I've, I've seen people make comments uh, and I personally, you know, do my thing of, of reaching out to individuals, let them know that, you know, I'm here if you need it. But what, what do you think keeps people from sharing and expressing these emotions and, and feelings? Good question. So since the lockdown, I would say that people are
2: seeking therapy more than ever. Um, In 2021, how to find a black therapist was one of the most searched Google phrases. Oh wow, that's amazing, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I think that in the black community specifically, people are definitely being more vocal and open and proactive about mental health concerns and about wanting to improve their mental health. Um, What keeps people quiet is the stigmatization of it, Uh is the reaction, right, in the black community alone. Black people don't go to therapy, we go to church. We go to church. Or, you mm-hmm. know, therapy's to white people. Um, therapy is too expensive. And mm-hmm. it is very expensive. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but I think that people don't know where to go for help. They don't know what to expect in terms of the help they're looking for and, and what it's going to look like when they receive it.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't know
2: how people around them are going to react to them going to therapy. I've been a therapist now for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And I still have friends and family who say like, oh, you're not really a therapist, you just talk to people. Like, you know, therapy's aren't the like real thing. or People don't really come to therapy. And I think there's this fear that if we start speaking life into mental health concerns being a real global, mm-hmm. everybody experiences a kind mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. we're then forced to look at our way of life. A lot of ways, there are a lot of ways in which American lifestyle, North America, United States lifestyle, mm-hmm. Um, contributes to mental health issues being rampant and out of control, Indeed. right? And I can sit here and list them all day long, but everything from the healthcare system to, um, you know, what we eat, mm-hmm. to our media that we consume, all of those things definitely do not help our mental health improve and mm-hmm. stay at a good level. Yeah. And a big part of that is treat mental health as separate and apart from physical health mm-hmm. when the two things are so intertwined mm-hmm. that you can't possibly say one, one stops is, and starts here and the other one doesn't. Sure. The,
1: que- the question I have um, in, in speaking on because we do know in the black community uh, mental health is very high. Very high. Um, and, and, and the reason being is because um, in the black community as, as youth um, we, we've dealt with a lot of things growing up um, you know living in different neighborhoods and things of that nature um, and like you uh, just said um, Black males so to speak and not taking away from black women, but black males so to speak is looked down upon as weak If I'm saying I have mental health issues or I need to go see therapy or I'm dealing with this You looked at as weak. How would, how would you then um, Tell that man to hey, it's okay Um, to go and speak to someone? How do you then uh, speak life into that individual um, and console the individual when when they're dealing with those issues? Because I believe that the reason we don't give that insight and that speak that life because we don't know how to. Preach. So how do we do that to our brothers and to our sisters? How do we speak that life into them um, when they're dealing with these mental health issues and they're coming to us saying, hey, this is an issue?
2: So I did my whole dissertation on black men, right? And I and I thank you. I Appreciate a lot. you. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot about just what black men go through in this country, and part of why I did that was because there isn't much research about black men, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like romantic relationships and and things like that. Um, and so I found that black men are truly an endangered species in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That black male babies die more than any other baby. Um, black men die younger than anyone else does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, health disparities, all of these different things. And when it comes to defining, like, manlyhood or masculinity, I think that's where the change needs to happen. That that definition of what it means to be a man mm-hmm. has to be expanded to uh-huh. include things mm-hmm. like asking for help.
0: Talk about like, Can I stop you right there one sure. second? No, one second. Oh. Um, I got two points here. one. To the viewers that are out there, um, I am. Stre- I, I do have the feed up, so if you have questions, and I'm going to get right back to you, Dr. Henry, because sure. uh, we were talking about this prior to you just mentioning what you just mentioned, but if the, to the viewers out there, if you have questions um, that you would like for us to ask um, within within the parameters of what we're discussing, please type them in to the... Um, into the, the feed, um, and we'll give uh, Dr. Henry an opportunity to answer some of your questions that you may have. Uh, but to to you talking about the black men, we we were just mentioning um, prior to this starting because, as I said, I don't, I'm not sure many people know, but I approached Anthony to um, a while back um, back in March because he was trying to start a men's group. Um, and I wanted to be a part of it, but I had some things that were already going on that I couldn't be, so I reached out to him to see how, how the, the, the event went, mm-hmm. and he, he shared with me you know, just certain, certain things, and, and then him and I talked, and this is how we got to this point here of, of doing something for mental health, and, and we want to do other programs, uh, hopefully in the very near future, on mental health, on, on men in general, um, just different things, but you talked about black men um, and mental health, I, I just know. Growing up, I grew up in the projects, um, Wilson Projects, and my mom was a single mother. And you're just talking about that stigma of black men. It was the drug dealers that 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 I watched <clears throat> as to be my male role models. Wow, yeah. Um, my mom was a very strong woman, very strong woman who would confront drug dealers and mm-hmm. and things like that. But Ma. It was one of those things where, as a black man, and I'm slowly, at 41, becoming comfortable with expressing my emotions, um, why do you think that is, though, like, us as black men are overlooked, and I don't want to make this just completely racial, but we're on this topic, why why not talk about it, but why is it that black men have those emotions of not expressing their their feelings? Um, I know... I've said to you and you said to me, like, it's because we had to have that bravado and yeah. you know, and I'm I am i am comfortable with being like, yo, yes, I cry. <laughs> like hey, I, I, I can I will show emotion. Right. So why has that been such a stigma for for black men to not to be emotionless and, and, and I know that it's hurt some of my past relationships with women and people in general. Indeed. Yeah.
2: So I, I wanna be very careful about not pathologizing black men or right. black
0: people. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. In general
2: general terms but doesn't mean that it applies to every single person. Yes. I personally think and believe personally and professionally. She said personal. That there there are no issues in the black community that we can discuss that don't bring us back to slavery. Gotcha. Right? Because if you think about the ways in which we were oriented to this country, it wasn't like other cultures who were able to seek salvation here mm. and came here to, you know, escape some other horror. The horror was was us being brought here right like our our livelihoods here our generations that began here for the most part began in a state of captivity and institutional racism Mm -hmm. that still exists to this day and i think that black men have such a unique experience in not having much of a role during slavery to protect their families or their partners Mm -hmm. they weren't able to provide they weren't able to stop any of these horrors from happening Um, So, stemming from that and looking at, you know, the ways in which freed enslaved black people um, had to create lives for themselves and needing um, survival to happen, needing to survive things like the Jim Crow era or Mm -hmm. the Tuskegee experiments or other um, government sanctioned events that specifically targeted black people and black men. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was much room left for emotional intelligence or for um, emotions besides rage, to be allowed um, for black men to experience or to express. Wow. And I think how we raise our black boys mm-hmm. nowadays, and again, speaking generally, not in every household, but in general, um, it's really about that, right? Like mm-hmm. about being a man. We call little boys little man, and exactly. you know, you're gonna be the man in the house one day, and mm-hmm. all these things that I don't think we realize what that means for a black boy. I think it puts him in a, a very small box of how you can be and what is required of you to survive in this context. And again, black people are not a monolith, right? We have diversity within our community. Mm-hmm. There are Afro-Latinas, there are you know black Caribbean people, there are African people. But I think in all those cultures, the, the man, the boy, the male born person is expected to, to show up in a certain way
0: mm-hmm. and that way doesn't always include
2: emotionality
0: mm-hmm. uh I, I appreciate your answers um, Indeed, you are big, okay. you are like th- you are thorough and in depth and, yeah. and and i love and i hope that our audience uh that that that, that they that that are out there listening that you are listening to her explain yeah. that it's not just a, a black thing or a white thing? She's just giving an explanation to the question that was was asked. I'm sitting here looking at um, looking at our um, our our chat boxes here, and I want to make sure that people understand that. Each race experiences things differently Mm -hmm. each race handles things differently um and and how things are handled in the home outside of the home the way people Mm -hmm. are brought up uh your where you lived where you my life growing up in the projects may be Mm -hmm. different Is not maybe it will be different than someone that lives in the suburbs um and I'm going to get back to, stay back to what, we, what we're talking about, Just, but I want our, our audience to understand, you know, me as a young black man growing up in the projects, walking outside of his building, um, I want to say I was in fifth grade to walk to the car with his brother and sister and mom to only watch another car pull up. At a high rate of speed, and watch a man get out of the car, pull out a gun, and shoot another man in broad daylight is traumatizing for any child. Um, for any child mm-hmm. um, it, back in back in the '90s, like that was that was traumatizing, and that was not my only experience of watching someone being shot and, and watching someone, like just traumatic things happening. So I want to make sure that our audience understands like it, this is not a black, white thing. It, 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 uh, it, it affects all of us regardless yes. of what color you are, yes. where you were from. It was just a general question of, because it was a topic that was brought up, it was just a general question yes. that I wanted to have answered and, and addressed, so.
1: Mental, mental health is not a, a, a race thing. No. Mental health, like I said, 57.8 million in 2021. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's, it's, not a, it's not a race thing. I think what uh, Dr. Henry and, and us are saying is just, we're just giving an effect on how it affects um, different individuals, but it's not a race thing. Mental health affects everybody in multiple different ways. So just want to let that can be known I Can I well. also
2: just say that yes, I ma'am. appreciate you explaining um, but I don't want us to qualify our discussion because okay. we are three black people sitting here talking about this topic, right? Indeed. And I think it makes sense that we're speaking to our experiences in mm-hmm. our community. And I also think it's important that people who are watching who are black and are not black mm-hmm. hear this because this isn't spoken about very often and very plainly Indeed. without some other um, umbrella to make it justify it being a conversation. Indeed. Uh, and so if people are offended by hearing about this, I think they should think about what is triggering them Um, and what is bothering them about hearing black people talk about black people related Mm. topics and do some exploration about where
0: that comes from. Mm. So I wanna say to you, so so we have been working on like closing remarks, like we've been talking Mm. about all kinds of things (laughs) because we are hoping to really Take this and, and turn it up and make it something that, that we can really do on maybe a, a bi, bi-monthly basis, monthly type of thing, whether it's talking about mental health or just other aspects. But mm-hmm. you say that, and, and our closing response, and I'm going to go ahead and say this right now, All right, if, go ahead. if it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, our, closing, our closing response is, our mission is bigger than us. And our focus is not what they are talking about. Mm -hmm. It is not what other people are talking about. It is what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And and our topics are going to be deep sometimes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, we'll be up here laughing and and maybe just Tony and I just Mm -hmm. up here chit-chatting. But people out there need to understand our mission is bigger than just us. Our mission is... We're going to talk about things that other people don't talk about that needs that needs to be heard. That's beneficial to us, to to our community, to to all sorts of people. So um, I appreciate you for for that.
1: And as Dr. Henry said, the one thing she did say, and I like that, um, if what we're speaking of triggers you, then what you need to do is figure out what that trigger is from, Um, because, Mm -hmm. again, like you said, we don't want to put ourselves on the umbrella, but these issues are real within the black community, um, and these mm-hmm. things need to be spoke on, and these things need to be heard. Um, so again, thank you, Dr. Henry, so much. Um, but yeah, go ahead, you can continue. I'm sorry.
0: Um, so I have. Um, we talked about some other some other uh, topics already. Um, so. From health from healthdirect.gov, um, there are various types of me- mental health illnesses that include mood disorders, anxiety disorders, personality disorders, uh, psychotic disorders. Um, those were the four classifications that they gave us. Uh, my question to you are: Are there any other classifications or type of mental illnesses that that are not spoken about at a greater detail, or or how did they classify put those? those four into classifications for for mental health. Maybe I'm not wording my question right. um, Mm -hmm. But how is... so? so
2: Those are the four like umbrella terms and all the diagnoses fit under one of those categories. So um, something like antisocial behavior is a personality disorder. Um, Depression is a mood disorder. Um, Those terms have quite a few diagnoses under all of them. And that's just a way for us as mental professionals to sort of know what part of functioning we're talking about okay. when we're talking about a certain diagnosis. Okay. Ope, o- so, so like o- a behind the curtains kind of thing. It doesn't really have to mean much for the person with a diagnosis because your diagnosis is what it is, regardless of what you know, umbrella it falls under.
1: Okay, okay, I got a question there then. Um, when <laughs> I was, um, as an adolescent, when I was in group homes, um, they would always have like an a in-house uh, institutional uh, social worker or institutional uh, counselor. Um, and they would, you know, ask you a series of questions, or a bunch of pictures and everything, um, and then they would give you a diagnosis. So at a very young age, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, mm-hmm. And I never really felt as though, you know, as I got older, I never really felt as though depression uh, was something that I wanted to claim, uh, because I, I, I believe in uh, uh, your words are powerful, so there's a lot of things I don't well, speak mm-hmm. upon myself. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't claim that. Uh, But the question I have for you is I never felt depressed, depressed, unless I was in an environment that was depressing. So, of course, as a child, if I'm, you know, in a group home or uh, a foster home or wherever I am, um, that is depressing. Uh, You you get what I'm saying? So how could they leave? How could they didn't diagnose me with depression um, when I'm just feeling depressed because I'm in a depressed area?
2: Well, if they're talking to you and meeting with you in that environment, Mm -hmm. that's a part of you that they're going to see, right? And in those environments, they have to diagnose everybody with something. And so they have to give you something. Um, Again, depression doesn't always mean that you feel sad. It doesn't mean that you're crying every day or that you're having um, suicidal thoughts even. Mm -hmm. Depression is one of those things that it's really hard to define for other people. You have to define it for yourself. And so I don't know what you said to those people that made them pick that diagnosis out of all the other diagnoses. Right. Um, it could be that they wanted to give you something that was a little bit more benign and not as severe that could impact you negatively moving forward. Gotcha. Um, it, it could be that they felt like you must be depressed because you're in this environment and you've been in here for X amount of years mm-hmm. or you're X amount of age, you know, years old or whatever the case is. A lot of things, factors go into diagnosing um, if they gave you different assessments and depending mm-hmm. on what your scores might have been, that That's what it was. was. you in that category mm-hmm. of depression. Um, and in the, those environments, group homes, treatment facilities, there's usually like a few diagnoses that they give people on sort of like a rolling basis. And so unless you have something else that is more severe and stands out, that could be why they gave you that diagnosis.
0: Gotcha. So I worked in alternative ed for... Uh, about 16 years, um, roughly, 16, 17 years, and dealt with a lot of at-risk youth. And going again, going off of his question, um, and then I got into a position where I was, was a counselor and, and, and pretty much like an assistant director, so I had an opportunity to look at paperwork and files on, on individuals. Um, so you talked about them diagnosing kids, uh, adolescents and youth, in these programs. Is there a reasoning why or, and you said it could be based off of the questioning, do, is there a reasoning why they do those things all the time for, for kids? Um, especially in those type of environments. They have to do it, because to do it for funding reasons.
2: They have to justify um, the money they're being paid to run that program and to keep that group home open. It's really all about funding. Um, And not saying diagnosing is useless or doesn't have a basis to it, but the reality is that these places are businesses and they wanna keep their grants or the government funding. um, A lot of that is based on who they're treating. And so you have to identify a a population that needs your services. Mm -hmm. And those populations are are populations of, of kids or people who fall under a certain umbrella. And that umbrella is usually a diagnosis. So there are grants for kids who are depressed. There are grants for kids who are at risk youth. There are grants for, and these grants aren't bad things because Mm -hmm. they do provide services. Um, They aren't all bad because they do keep businesses open and keep people employed and allow people like myself to treat other people Mm -hmm. who need the treatment. Um, But a big part of diagnosing is about funding and, and dollars.
1: That goes right into the next question, (laughs) because you just unloaded a lot there. Because that goes to the next question. Um, Because this is what I had. Again, I spoke to you about when I was diagnosed, they diagnosed me with depression. Now, um, again, I don't claim it. But suppose I was an individual who, at an early age, decided to lean on them diagnosing me with depression, Okay? Um, And this is not even the case, uh, because the question states, what are some common misconceptions about mental health and therapy? Um, Let's say that's not even the case. I I don't have depression, but this is something they've given me. But now I've lived my whole life off the misconception of what was told to me by an individual um, who holds a a degree in a certain practice um, that states she can give these uh, 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 diagnoses. So how do you tell a person like me um, not to listen to it or or to listen to it without, you know what I mean? Because that could hurt a person, any child. If I'm telling a 13 or 14 year old, hey, you're dealing with depression. Um, because everything that you're going on in your life, you're dealing with depression. And now that 14 year old decides to carry that on until 30, 35 years of age. And in doing so, that adolescent is taking prescribed medication um, and things of mm-hmm. that nature because they're leaning on that. So how do we yeah. get away from that and not harm or, or, or again, what are some of the uh, common misconceptions about mental health and therapy? Like, how do we get away from that and not send people to therapy who really don't need it?
2: Um, the the short answer is we can't always get away from it. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why I think that mental health professionals, people doing diagnosing, need to be properly trained. They need to be qualified and held to standards and ethical codes that we have mm-hmm. in the field mm-hmm. um, to ensure that they're practicing in an ethical and safe and healthy way that's not always the case
3: Mm -hmm. right
2: and it's not always true that people are misdiagnosed necessarily because your mental health your way of living your state of being can change as you mature as you have different experiences if your quality of life changes Mm -hmm. you know all those things can impact a person's mental health if you Mm -hmm. develop physical health concerns that could impact your mental health so diagnoses aren't always stagnant, they're not always lifelong things. Um, you could grow and develop out of a diagnosis, mm-hmm. or you could have it for, the, for your whole life, but it impacts you at varying degrees. So there's really no way to say, if X, Y, and Z happens, ignore a diagnosis. Right. But if A, B, and C happens, hold on to it. I would say that if you have concerns about your mental health and your, your way of life and how you're feeling in your bones then keep talking to people about it, right? Mm -hmm. Keep being assessed, keep being in therapy or talking to whoever's medicating you about the medications you're on because not Mm -hmm. every medication is the right one for you, the right one at that time, or different with your body chemistry. Mm -hmm. You know, medication is is its own separate thing that has all these different factors to it as well. If you're on medication, you should absolutely be in therapy Mm -hmm. the entire time that you're on this medication Because that professional can help manage the medication for you. Again, another person can see what you can't see, right? Right. So if I have a client who's coming to me who's on medication, I can tell pretty quickly if they're over-medicated, if they're Mm under-medicated, or if they're on the wrong medication. As a person who has no idea about this from a professional standpoint, you don't know what you should or shouldn't be feeling. You know, you were given this medication by, like you said, a doctor, and so you trust that and you take it. Um, So you need someone else who can help, facilitate and guide you through what that should look like for you based on the medication itself, your height and weight, your age mm-hmm. and your diagnosis and everything else. Like-
0: I've seen um, I, I've seen kids come out of placement um, working with, with working in alternative. I've seen kids come out of placement and like they would um, and and, and we, we plan on having a, a psychiatrist on at any other time, to talk about medication and diagnoses. Um, yeah. But I had a young man who would come in, and he would um, he'd be very lethargic um, throughout the day until it was about time for him to go home. And, you know, I divulged myself in his file a little bit more and found out that the young man was on lithium. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this is... <laughs> that is a
1: very <laughs> that, that heavy is, drug. It is a very heavy that drug. a very um, heavy um, drug. I've
0: seen a lot of kids on different medications that they diagnosed them with certain... Um, mental health issues, and, and that is the first thing, and, and I'm glad that we are, it, it's, it's actually have a family member who's going through, um, who's, getting, who's getting her doctorate and becoming a doctor to, to distribute medication, so it'll be great to have her on the show in, in the near future, but how do they determine that, or I won't say how do they determine, I'll ask why is it proposed to provide a young kid at that age, 10, 11, 12, 13, mm-hmm. high dosage of, of lithium, and we don't have to go all the way in it, because it's going a little bit off of a, right. a different topic, but, um, like, how is that qualified to be okay? Because um, just watching this individual, this young man just walk through the hallways, shoulders down, head down, and it's like, that's, that's just not, that's not who you are. Uh. That's, that's not an easy question to
2: answer because, yeah. again, there right. are all these factors, right? Right. Um, I would say just off best guess that this person probably had um, a behavioral diagnosis and this was a way to cur- curb those behaviors. Okay. <laughs> In different settings, like schools, mm-hmm. um, homes, we need children to follow order. hmm Sorry, my allergies are...
1: No, you're fine. Yeah.
0: You're okay. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Sorry. Very so good. we need children to be able to, to follow order, right? Yeah. We have teachers who are overworked, underpaid. Absolutely. We have group home um, employees who have so many things to take care of and to be on top of that this person or child being the problem, Mm -hmm. you know, needs to be contained. They can't always be rehoused, they can't always be, you know, removed or another simple solution. And so a lot of times behavioral health services and mental health services are used as a way to course correct versus actually help and heal.
1: Mm -hmm. Course correct, you said the Keyword course correct instead of actually heal. And I feel like a lot of the uh, uh, institutions that I was in as adolescents, they did that core correct. It wasn't a lot of healing going on. Um, because in the end it was more so, you know, follow this rule, take this, hush your mouth, go lay in this number. You know what I mean? And I I felt like putting up being in that environment only catapulted me um to, you know, to spiral. Yeah, man. to spiral out of control, to have other issues, to and it's just like that was Where is the where is the help that is needed for children who are dealing with these kind of things? um, Instead of just continuously medicating these children. How do we and and again? We we, it's a lot of factors that go to that so we don't have to touch too much on it Um, But I really want to hit how do we help these children? Um, Because we have a lot of children especially in today's era of social media Um, You know, you you have to look a certain way, you have to be a certain way. How do we help these children get out of that uh, mindset that will catapult them into these issues later in life?
2: Children are only symptoms of their environment. Mm
3: -hmm. And so
2: if we want to help the kids, we have to help the adults around them Mm -hmm. who can be healthier for those children. I like that.
1: That That was heavy. Indeed.
0: Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Parents out, yeah, right. parents out there that are listening, right? Parents out there that are listening, you are part of your children's problem. Yeah. Yes, it. I was going to say we. I don't have any kids, yeah, we. <laughs> but we, but we have to do better for our kids. Dude. We have to do better for our kids.
1: I heard you, Doctor mm-hmm. Henry. We
0: have, we, we right. have to. But the be. parents,
2: if you like, so my training as a marriage and family therapist mm-hmm. is not about marriages and families. It's about systems, right? Mm-hmm. Systems mm-hmm. and how we relate to each other within those systems and across systems. Right systems. So. If you think about this systemically, that the kids are a symptom of their household. Mm -hmm. Their parents are a symptom of their social environment. That social environment is a symptom of our larger institutions as a culture and a country. Mm -hmm. So it's a top-down thing. It should be a top-down approach of we need different laws to create different environments right. so parents can function differently right. and can raise their children differently. Right, yeah. Something is happening in a vacuum. So all of these things are impacting one another. Like yeah. you said, growing up in the projects, if your mother had different resources and you grew up in a different neighborhood, you wouldn't have been traumatized by seeing someone get shot. Mm-hmm. Right? You wouldn't have been there to witness that. Right. And maybe that wouldn't have happened because those people would have had different resources and had different options. And again, this is not pathologizing or saying all about people are poor living in the projects to shoot each other, mm-hmm. but rather that these are very real realities that our kids They're are dealing, dealing with. Yeah. Indeed. And children who, who live in better neighborhoods Indeed. are dealing with different mental health issues because of yep. those environments.
3: Yep. So
2: if we think about what are we doing to our children, we have to sort of keep going up the ladder to what's happened to us as a whole mm-hmm. and how is that
0: trickling down to our children. Um, I'm going to take a step back here because you talked about quality of life changes um, and, um, and, and how that also affects and changes your mental health. And we're running almost out of time here. We have about nine minutes left in, in the show. So I'm going to ask this question and then we'll um, ask you some, some final questions here just about you and then we'll, we'll close, out, close out the show. So um, last question regarding mental health. I have a friend who who um, talked about um, a journey that he personally went on and um, it was life-changing for him and altered him physically that allowed him to, to become better, but they mentioned their struggle of not taking, um, taking the mental aspect of the changes um, or embracing the mental aspect of the changes, and didn't realize how much it was going to affect him mentally. So I say this because you talked about the physical. Um, you put physical is physical to mental. They go together. So it was a significant physical change that this individual went through, but mentally he didn't go through that change together. So if you could give us a brief um, explanation to how does how does physical change affect your mental change? <laughs>
2: On several levels. The first is that when you have a physical change, your literal body chemistry changes, right? So there are different hormones that may be imbalanced. balance. Um, you may be introducing different substances in your body to heal your physical illnesses or address the physical changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things are gonna impact your mental and emotional health. Anything that is foreign to the body that's intro- introduced to the body mm-hmm. is going to have an impact, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, So if you're going through a physical change, whether it's pregnancy, breaking a limb, um, you know, having a necessary Mm -hmm. surgery, whatever it is, there is likely a mental or behavioral component to that because it's happening in the same body, in the same entity, right? So we have to think about how are we responding to things like even getting like teeth removed, right? Or having a migraine. All those things impact your mental and emotional health. You know that when you're an athlete and you have an injury, you're thinking, damn, I can't play anymore. My future is ruined. I worked so hard. I'm disappointed. All that is mental and emotional things that we take as like, oh, it's part of being an athlete, as part of the the game. But we don't think about what kind of impact that can have long after the season's over, long after the injury is healed. That may stay with you and really change the course of your life because of that one moment or that one experience. Indeed. So we have to think about these two things working in tandem, mm-hmm. and think about addressing both things
0: and not just one or the other. Indeed, thank you. Um, I'm going to check to see how much time do do we are we ending right at seven at 7:30? Yeah. Okay. We, we may need another another few minutes here because we want to we want to yeah, close we, this, this is is out some properly. Good stuff. It's definitely this, some, must good say this stuff. some good stuff. Um, so. We talked about misconceptions of mental health therapy. We talked about that earlier because that was one of our final, final mm-hmm. questions here. So, we're going to ask some things about you so our mm-hmm. viewers can get a chance to know you a little bit um, before we close out, and then we'll let you go and then we'll close out the show. Okay. Close Indeed. the show out. All right. Um, so, Dr. Henry, can I, what,
2: actually, can I answer the question about misconceptions about mental health and therapy? Yes, yes so absolutely. Just answer that. Yes. yes. Um, so, one of the biggest misconceptions about therapy is that therapy is always the answer and it always works. Mm. As a therapist, I can tell you, therapy is not always the answer and it does not always work. Mm -hmm. Um, Therapy may not be the answer at that moment, right? You may have the wrong therapist, Mm -hmm. and that is a thing. You can have the wrong therapist. Um, You can change your therapist. You can challenge your therapist. You can tell them, this isn't working for me, or I don't think we're we're a good match, Mm -hmm. or I need a different person to help me. Um, I think it's important that people are empowered in their therapeutic journey, because this is about it's you and your like healing empower. it's about it's about you finding what you need and therapy has the best chance of working when there's a goodness of fit Indeed. you have Oof. to like the like therapist him. they have to like you enough to work with you right you don't have to be friends you're supposed to be friends but you do have to feel like you can talk to this person and be open and honest with them and be vulnerable with them mm-hmm. your therapist should not be your friend they should not um you know only gossip and laugh and key with you mm-hmm. they should be challenging you they should mm-hmm. be giving you feedback awesome. they should be facilitating you changing not telling you what to do not giving you advice but helping walk with you through whatever changes and journey you want to have not what they want for you Indeed. Um, another misconception about therapy is that it has to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of programs and ways to access free therapy. There needs to be a whole lot more for sure. If you talk to a therapist and they say, this is my fee, this is my cost. You can ask them, do you have a sliding scale fee? Do you have any pro bono sessions or pro bono times that you offer? Because they might, but they're not gonna lead with that, right? Because they need to run their business too. And that's understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're near a college or university, you can call them and see if they're their counseling center treats people in the community because they might, right? So maybe you have to be seen by an intern or someone who's unlicensed, Mm -hmm. but that's still a way to start your journey towards better mental health. Um, Another misconception I think about therapy is that it has to last forever, it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of brief therapy or short-term therapy. Um, Therapy should end at some point unless Mm -hmm. you have a very severe mental illness or other concerns or you don't want it to end, that's okay too. Um, your therapist doesn't have to look like you but you can find one that does look like you and you can want that and mm-hmm. ask for that and that's okay um, and also you don't have to go to therapy alone you can bring a friend to therapy with you if you want to you can go to therapy with your partner with your family with whomever you feel comfortable being in that room with it doesn't have to be just one-on-one um, it doesn't have to be just talk therapy either you know there are all kinds of ways to get therapy in different avenues that i'll talk about um, a little bit later on and the important thing is that you feel good about the therapy you're receiving. And if right. you don't, you should change it immediately.
0: Indeed. Thank you. Appreciate that. Dropping jewels. dropping a lot of jewels out here. Driving I'm glad joules. that it's recorded so we can go back and, and, and splice this up and put some clips out there. Um, So I don't think we got anything from the viewers. Uh, We were working on getting the questions uh, from the viewers here for us to ask. I don't think we have those yet. Um, But I want to ask you, what led you into – so we have a few questions here, and then we'll segue our way out. Um, What led you into this field?
2: I started um, at Lehigh as a pre-med major and sciences and me don't really get along, so yes. that was very short-lived. Especially uh, at Lehigh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was have known from high school, but you know, I kind of played myself going into college with that. But, um, so I switched to a psychology degree because I you know, I think everybody goes like default psychology mm-hmm. when you don't know what else to do with yourself in, in undergrad. But then I found out junior year that I could get a dual bachelor's degree Um, in sociology and social psychology by just taking like three more classes because it was an overlap program at Lehigh. So I did that and in my first sociology class we talked about marriage and the family Mm. and I learned that it was its own separate field, not a subset of psychology or sociology. Mm -hmm. And my advisor at the time um, talked to me about becoming a marriage and family therapist and talked about um, some states making divorce more of a process where you have to go to therapy first before getting a divorce. And so he's like, you know, you're going to, there's going to be a big need for therapists if you want to go into that field. Mm-hmm. So I did my research, I researched everything and found, you know, the organization found that there were schools that were accredited by a different governing body so that they decided this is what therapists should be learning and how they should be learning it
3: mm-hmm. and set
2: so a standard. And that really appealed to me that it wasn't just do what you want, but rather this is how it should be done. I went to grad school thinking I'll be learning about love and relationships and feelings and learned the first day that's not what it was about, that it was really about the science behind relationships Mm -hmm. and how people behave in interactions with other people. Mm -hmm. And it stuck with me from day one. Um, I knew I wanted to have a PhD. I knew I wanted to be Dr. Henry because of what that means to other people, Mm -hmm. but also because of just... I liked the sound of being called Dr. Henry. So, There's nothing wrong with that. I knew I wanted to teach also. Um, and you know, teaching at the collegiate level requires a PhD for most schools. And so that's why I went that far to get a PhD. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been out here doing that ever since. Awesome. Awesome. Um,
1: well, we know you got the jewels. Um, and we know uh, all your credentials. But we also know that you're a writer. So the question I have for you is, would you like to share where we could find some of your publications?
0: Um, am I a writer? I don't know if I'm a writer. You, what do you tell these people? Do you, you, you've read, I just read an article. That, was that an article that you just oh, wrote? Oh, yes.
2: So I contribute to a lot of articles. I don't write them myself. So journalists write them and they ask for my expert opinion or feedback about mm-hmm. something. Um, I have written a cookbook. So I do, with couples therapy, I create my own model of couples therapy called integrative culinary therapy, where um, couples are really challenged to develop intimacy from a cultural level, so learning mm. more about each other's families of origin, who raised you, who taught you about relationships, and how does that show up now in your current romantic relationship.
3: Okay. And what we Ooh. do
2: is we meet every other session in a cooking space, and I walk them through different cooking exercises that I came up with to help them work on things like solving problems, trust and respect with each other, um, problem solving, commun- communication, things like that. And so in the cookbook, there are recipes, but there are also therapeutic exercises that you can do by yourself, with your partner, with your family, or with friends. Um, and so that's like that's my brand of, of couples therapy. Yeah. And um, I'm working on you know, just expanding that model and trying to get it out to the masses.
1: Okay. I, I, so you're talking about a couple therapy. I'm, I was about to say, I don't want to cut you off right <laughs> now. I just got engaged. Congratulations! Hi, Jasmine. Hi Jasmine. Congratulations. I love you. Um, yeah, So I just got engaged. So when you were saying about the cookbook, um, my fiance cooks amazingly. I mean the meals are just out of this world, um, and she loves to cook. Jasmine, okay? you talk
0: about your cooking before, before exactly, the show the started. Just so you um, know, Jasmine. She loves to cook. So
1: and um, sometimes you know I want to jump in there too. I'm more of a breakfast guy. I like, can I'm cook. I'm more of breakfast in oh. bed for, uh, but she she gets down so. I want to be a part of that because we're, 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 we're heavy on the, get the uh, connecting uh, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. So, how do we get this book, or how do we go about uh, being a part of this, this, this couple's cooking thing?
2: So, um, I do events every so often of the cooking therapy in okay. different um, locations, different cities. Okay. You can also find the book at my website, Sancopatherapynyc.com. Say, say that one more time. Say that one more time. Sankofa Therapy NYC. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A Therapy NYC. dot com. The cookbook is on there. Um, you can also attend my retreat this September in Belize. Yeah, we were just going to ask about to. that retreat. I was about to
0: say that was, that was the <laughs> next one. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a you have a couples retreat that you're doing, destination retreat that got approved by the government. Um, no, so those not are the government. No, not the government. Who is no, no. it who gives gotta, you approval? I got
2: approved to do a research study oh, with research. my model with okay. couples in New York City. Okay, oh, I am also okay. hosting the retreat separately. Okay,
1: so awesome.
0: you, oh, you got two so different
1: things. So you got two different on. things. Go ahead, girl. Can, can we get some of that? Can you explain <laughs> that right quick?
2: Yeah. So the retreat is not. It's not going to be a therapeutic retreat. You're not going to come there and get couples therapy. Okay. What I want the retreat to do is to have couples be intentional about carving out this time and space for their relationship. Mm-hmm. So we will have some things, like we're going to do some cooking couples therapy while we're there. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm hoping to have a colleague and friend of mine come who is a sex therapist and a tantric healer
3: mm-hmm. to
2: educate us about what that means and looks like and how you can do that in at home with your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be having a lot of fun, right? I want it to be a fun getaway that is focused on learning about how to be more intentional in your relationship. I think if we're making daily decisions about Absolutely. the health of our relationship and how to improve it or maintain it at a positive level then we can avoid some of these larger issues that come up because we're not communicating, we're not spending time together, we're not connecting, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So the point of the cooking therapy really is about, like you said, your fiance cooks every day. We all eat food Mm -hmm. every day. Most of us cook food and eat every day. Mm -hmm. We can use that time to have a conversation, right, about our relationship. We can use that time to problem solve. We can use that time to be intentional about checking in with where we're at and where we want to get to and how things Mm -hmm. are going rather than waiting for the therapy room or waiting for church or waiting right. for another yeah. place. Right.
0: You do your own you therapy can, at home.
2: And you can Cook, do it cooking anywhere therapy. Bar, At home, you can do it in the car. Right. Um, and you learn those things at therapy too. But because therapy is supposed to end, what you do after is take
0: those lessons with you and incorporate it into your everyday life. And one of those ways is by cooking and eating food. Um, So we're going to let you go here and we're going to close out the show and we want to say thank you. But would you be interested in coming back on the show again and and, and, and talking some other topics with us? Yeah, I had a great time with you guys. We appreciate well, you, you uh, very much. Um, I, I I, definitely, I'm going to say my thank you to you. He was So he was trying to say thank you to yes. you earlier, but the mics weren't on, and it was oh, okay. that, 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 that period where the mics weren't on. But I'm going to tell you thank you um, for being so willing and open to, to coming on here with us. Um, especially for this being our first time doing something like this, we appreciate it greatly. We look forward to having you back on here to discuss some other topics uh, in the very, very near future. Um, I'll let you say what you need to say. Yeah, what I was going to say
1: earlier, um, again, after reading over your credentials and everything, um, I was so excited to have you on. Um, And I'm, like you said, we're just so thankful to have you here with this being our first show. Um, Everything you gave us was needed. It was really good stuff. Um, I can't wait to try this cooking thing. (laughs) <laughs> um, and get that book, you know what I mean? Because I really want to indulge into that. Um, and I just thank everything that you're giving uh, back to the people, back to the communities. Um, so thank you so much for uh, being on our show today. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Elle. Thank you for asking me that I'm honored to be here. Um, you know, we've had these talks many, many years ago, yes. a very different level probably. So yes. now we know what we're talking about a little bit more. <laughs> um, but I'm always willing to help and come back on whenever you'll have
0: to. Awesome. Appreciate it very much. Thank Great. you, and I will be in touch. You're welcome. Thanks, you, Dr. Me. Henry. See you later. Bye-bye. Um, as we close out our show, everyone, I'd um, like to thank our sponsors again. Um, as you should, Junk Removal, AIS. AIS, AIS Junk Removal, we are on our way. Uh, Lawrence Williams Health Insurance, Convenience Choice Council, More Than Just Health, located in Gettysburg. And Weaver's account, Weaver Accounting Solutions um, offers booking, taxes, and payroll services to local uh, individuals now located on High Street. On High Street. High stream.
1: Um, If you have any ideas for future shows, please leave a suggestion in the comments. I mean, anything that you could possibly think of um, that you think will be good, anything that you may have um, an idea about uh, that's pertaining to a certain issue, man, message us, let us know, um, and on the next show, we'll get it on there.
0: Um, and a lot of you see us around. Most of you follow us on Facebook already, so you can message us directly. A lot of you that were watching have my phone number, have his number. Indeed. Um, you can message us um, directly. Um, our closing response to you all, and we will get better with this. I, I thought it was a great first show for, for us, man. Indeed. I am, Indeed. I'm, I'm pleased two with cool dudes. two cool dudes, <laughs> man, two cool dudes. Um, our mission is bigger than us. Our focus is not what they're talking about. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in, um, and we will see you all very soon. We sign off to you from community media. Thank you. Peace.